condo conversions are tricky. They require attorneys. They require a lot of paperwork. Uh, they require permitting and they require probably having a good degree of financial smarts if you're actually going to undergo this process. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Once again, we're here with attorney broker Rory Gill. Uh, my name is Jason Muth. How you doing, Rory? How you having a good day? I'm doing great. Happy Monday to you. It is a Monday. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, we're actually recording this uh, Monday just before St. Patrick's Day here in Boston. And, and this is the second year in a row that all the festivities uh, have been canceled. Uh, we're really looking forward to St. Patrick's Day once again here. And, you know, it wasn't that crazy of a neighborhood uh, this past couple of days. Like, I, I thought people still would have kind of skirted the rules and been out and about. But I didn't see that much of that going on. Did you? No, it was quiet. And it's a shame we missed the the best weather we would have had in years for a St. Patrick's Day parade. But yeah, so I mean, we were, we were even saying that yesterday. I mean, it was this picture perfect March day here in Boston where no rain, you know, 40 degrees outside, nice and brisk, bright sun. It was exactly the type of St. Patrick's Sunday that we usually have around here. But um, no celebration this year. Uh, we're just going to punt that to next year once again and, and forge forward um, into this crazy real estate world that we have among us. Uh, it, I, I swear things change by the day. I mean, we're probably going to re- release this uh, this episode in a few weeks. So I, I don't think people are really going to be hearing this until uh, sometime in April, maybe May. But you know, maybe people are going to hear it uh, far down the line as well because we have a great topic that's going to be super applicable um, for months and years to come. Um, and, and that's condo conversions. And this is something that happens all the time, you know, and condo conversions uh, are tricky. They require attorneys. They require a lot of paperwork. Uh, they require permitting and they require probably having a good degree of uh, financial smarts um, if you're actually going to undergo this process. You know, if done correctly, and, and a lot of developers really do know how to do this well, it could lead to uh, some fantastic investments uh, if you're looking for a way to really kind of win in this real estate market today. So just Rory, you've been involved in some condo conversions like over the years, like, you know, before we really jump into what it is and how to do it, like, you know, just what are some reasons why people convert to condos? Like what are some things you've seen in the past? So I'm glad we, uh, we're we picking this topic just because the market seems to change so quickly. We'll pick a topic that won't go obsolete in three weeks. Um, and that's just the general process of a condo conversion. We see it all the time. I mean, in fact, some neighborhoods in the city are defined by it. Um, the wave of condo conversions that started really in earnest around 2000 and have, have swept most of South Boston, East Boston, Dorchester, and a number mm-hmm. of places. So you, it's something that we see everywhere. And it's not as complicated or obtuse as some people imagine it is. Strictly speaking, it's just taking an existing piece of real estate, um, dividing up in a different way, not along property lines, but um, just dividing up an existing piece of real estate so that it can be sold off um, in different units. Yeah. As simple as that. Now, my first place in Boston was a condo conversion. 
Um, I don't know when they did the conversion. I mean, I, I bought the place in 2003 and they were already condos. Uh, they, they were probably apartments beforehand. Uh, and just a, a funny story, a, a coworker of mine many years later, when I was mentioning that place, uh, she said, oh, the place that burned down. I said, what? I said, you have to tell me this story. So, you know, sometimes there's a lot of history in these properties that you have no idea that you're moving into. But uh, as it turns out, my old coworker, actually, she's a current coworker. She lives, uh, she used to live across the street from uh, that building. And I guess there was a big fire that gutted it. And at some point, uh, they decided to rebuild the building. And somewhere along the line, Mm -hmm. uh, they decided to convert to condos. Uh, Not to say that a building has to uh, have a massive fire, before you undergo a condo conversion. Uh, but I suppose that's one reason why if you're going to rebuild it, you might as well, you know, rebuild it the way you want to rebuild it. So, you know, condo conversions, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what's involved with it. Why would somebody want to do a condo conversion? Yeah. So when you think about a condo conversion, strictly speaking, we're not talking about physical changes, although usually it comes in conjunction with a uh, renovation or rehabilitation of a property, but strictly speaking is carving it up individually. Um, And it's as simple as deciding that a property is going to be worth more if it's sold off in different pieces um, than being sold off altogether. In the most concrete situation, if you have a a three-family triple-decker and you know that you would get more money selling off each unit as a separate unit versus turning around and selling it as a three-family altogether, then you want to go ahead um, and do the work, create the condo conversion so that you can legally sell off each each piece separately. Right. So it's not necessarily the footprint of the building doesn't have to change for a condo conversion, right? That's correct. So you may want to do it for other reasons, but you're taking an existing piece of real estate um, and splitting it up when they're worth more separately. And that's going to be true in a lot of high demand markets across the state. So of course we think of Boston, but pretty much the entire metropolitan area of Boston um, is a strong market for condo conversions just because individual units are very much in demand. If you go far enough away from the city, you'll actually see the math work um, in the opposite fashion where the single family market is much stronger. There's a weak demand for condominium units. And in those cases, property owners often uh, prefer to keep those units intact as a four family rental property where um, where ownership's in common and you rent it out. But it's a it's a math equation and it's a math equation that can, can change based on the market and what you believe the market's going to do in the next 10 or so years. Mm-hmm. What types of buildings are ripe for condo conversions? Like if someone's looking to start somewhere, what should they be on the lookout for? The best condo units, um, the best opportunities out there um, was that could be quite a range so you can take you can be creative and you can have properties that are mixed use that have some commercial space in them um, some residential space you can actually have a, a condominium that's entirely commercial where you're just um, chopping it off and selling out each office space um, independently but w- what I look for when I see opportunities for condo conversion are buildings that have separated utilities um, because that's a major project to go ahead and separate utilities. They don't strictly need to be separated, but it makes it a lot more accessible to buyers if they know that their utilities are separated. Um, mm-hmm. You're looking for buildings that don't have an excessive amount of common areas that would be um, wasted and not valuable as part of the resale. Um, you're also taking a look at buildings that can be divided up logically without too many quirks or bizarre entry and exit arrangements, for example, or just 
physical impossibilities where you have um, too many common elements running through individual units. So it's a very, very much a case-by-case basis, but I'm taking a look at buildings that um, can logically be divided up. And well, here in Boston, you know, the, the triple decker is kind of a classic uh, New England style property. You know, you see them in Worcester, uh, you see them in Chelsea, you'll see them in Salem, you'll see them here in Boston, you know, Dorchester, East Boston, South Boston, throughout throughout the area of Roxbury. That's that's a pretty logical condo conversion. They triple decker is exactly what it is. It's three stories. And, you know, back in the day, didn't didn't a lot of these used to be single family homes back when they were built? Or were um, they all de- apartments? De- depends on which particular neighborhood. I think the what we picture in our mind is the classic triple decker of South Boston and Dorchester. Those were multifamily hot properties um, at the time. Other mm-hmm. properties that stand out, maybe some of the brownstones were in fact single mm-hmm. families that were divided up into multifamilies and then later converted into condominium units. But right. much of the housing stock, especially built around 1900, 1920 in the city, were multifamily properties, and they are prolific in many of the neighborhoods where you think of the iconic triple decker. Yeah. Now, what about like um, converted buildings? You know, so let's say you have an old mill building in Lowell, or an old brewery somewhere, or an old paper factory, or an old you know you name it uh, in many of the uh, industrial towns you know throughout the Merrimack Valley. Uh, in New Hampshire, you know, th- there's just, there's a lot of building, I mean, old schools, you know, you see things getting repurposed all the time. Would that be considered a condo conversion? If you're, you're, t- you're taking a building that did one thing and now you're going to redevelop the whole thing. And, you know, the, the goal is to have 18 units um, to sell off. It's exactly the same, you know, unless you're talking about a subdivision where all you're doing is chopping up land. If you're chopping up um, a building, it's a condominium and it doesn't matter if we're thinking about a duplex that's divided into two units or a 200 unit mill building that's divided up. The process, It's the same concept and the process is actually the same uh, regardless of the complexity of the project. Okay. Now, if you're going to convert to condos, like what are some numbers you sh- that, that somebody should look at? You know, let's say that somebody acquires a building and they're saying, do I keep this as apartments and then rent them out? Or do I, uh, you know, convert to condos and sell them off, whether I'm going to do any reconfiguration or any work to them? What is what's that decision process like for, for an investor? Well, the overarching calculation you're going to do is take a look at um, just run through the two different scenarios. If you're going to turn around and sell the property um, as it is right now um, under common ownership, what would you yield as your um, for your proceeds? And then what would the condo commit? condo conversion option look like. For Mm -hmm. a classic triple decker, it's actually relatively simple to to look at the math. You comp out the sale of that just like you would any other transaction, Um, calculate the real estate commission, um, the transfer tax and the basic closing costs for a seller, and you'll come up with the, the net value that you would obtain going through that method. For larger projects, you comp them out using the rental value method. Um, That's kind of a topic for another day, um, but larger projects do, um, as a general matter, they use different comparables um, and different way to appraise uh, larger projects. But you take a look at what a sale of that asset would look like. And then you weigh the math that I'll tell you now um, for a condo conversion. Um, and that starts basically with taking the project as it is now. And what physical changes would you have to make to the building, not for legal reasons, but to make it marketable to people. So uh, what 
pipes, what walls, what reconfiguration has to happen in order to make it attractive to buyers in the market. Also keeping in mind that condominium unit uh, buyers tend to expect a higher grade of finishings in this market than uh, renters do. So if you're looking at a condo unit that is maybe C plus B minus grade, uh, renovation may be warranted in order for you to really get the best bang for your buck and reselling it as a um, condo unit. Mm-hmm. So you take those physical changes that need to happen um, to the building into account, and then you compare the resale amount for the three or the, the all the units separately, the total difference, subtract um, the normal closing costs, but you're also going to be subtracting some additional costs for architects um, and attorneys to actually effectuate the condo conversion. So there's a lot that goes into the condo conversion. Do you ever see developers, they'll buy a building, they'll do the condo conversion, like the legal conversion, and then they'll just sell the entire project to somebody else Is that without redoing any of the condos? That's Yes, but that also adds value to a potential buyer because now that buyer that purchased the entire building has the flexibility themselves to turn around and um, sell off the units separately. So mm-hmm. there's still value in that. You've created more opportunities for the buyer to uh, do with the property as they wish. Yeah, there's absolutely value to it. And you do occasionally see that when a buyer comes out and is interested actually in taking over the whole, the whole building. And right, the whole project. And even if the that particular buyer wasn't attractive to a converted building, when you've entered the sale process, you've opened yourself up to a greater number of buyers um, by making the, pro- the building more versatile. Okay. We are talking with Rory Gill, the attorney uh, for Urban Village Legal uh, and broker owner of Next Home Title Town Real Estate uh, here in Boston. And we're talking about condo conversions today. So uh, one final thing we should talk about with this episode would be how do you do it? And mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's not going to be as simple as you download the PDF for the condo conversion and send it off to the city's condo conversion department, right? No. In fact, um, you do need professional help when it comes to, to creating the condo conversion. But it's the process is simpler than you'd think it it would be. So once you have a building that's ready to be divided up legally, um, you start with an architect, a surveyor, and an attorney. And they're going to be your team that will um, make the, the transaction happen. And it I think it starts with large part with the architect. You need an architect to come through and create a floor plan of the building as it actually exists. They're certifying um, that, you know, the the product that they've put together is an accurate layout of the building right now. And that's the plan that's used to, to show how the unit's going to be carved up, how the building's going to be carved up, who owns what, uh, what's part of each unit. Um, and that's, it all starts with an architectural plan. Often a surveyor comes along too, and they'll divide up the, the pieces of the land as much as that makes sense. That's especially important for parking. Um, if you have common yards or uh, mm-hmm. exclusive use yards, um, the surveyor will put together a plan as well. And then the attorney will take that information and create what's called the master deed. The master deed is a long form document that describes in great clarity who is going to own what, who's responsible for what parts of the building. And, you know, that, and that comes down to who owns what pipe um, that runs through the wall. So all of that has to be flushed out. And the attorney is going to lean very heavily on the architectural drawings of the building to put that into writing. Um, mm-hmm. So there you have the master plan written up by the architect, 
um, showing how the building's going to be carved up. You have the master deed written by the attorney describing how the building's going to be carved up. Um, mm -hmm. And the last bit uh, created by the attorney will be the declaration of trust. And this creates the condo association and describes how the building will be managed. This is where you see a lot of the things that condo buyers want to take a close look at. What are the rules and regulations of the building? Um, are the terms compatible with most uh, mortgage loans that are out there? Um, how do the rules get changed? Um, all that's written up um, in the Declaration of Trust. Um, and those three documents together form the basis of the condo documents. And once those are filed uh, with the Registry of Deeds, the process is complete. And now ownership has been carved up into um, the multiple units. And legally speaking, the seller is able to, um, to sell um, the unit separately. So how common is this for most municipalities around the country? Because people listen to this podcast everywhere. Um, I know that you know, you're practicing in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Are these three things pretty standard to the best of your knowledge everywhere? I mean, obviously there'll be some variants around the country, but you know, is, this, is this pretty standard recipe? It is a standard-ish recipe. Um, most of the states have similar rules. They may combine some of these features or cover them up into different um, parts. Most commonly, they will use different language to describe what each element mm -hmm. of this is, but uh, condominiums uh, largely operate the same. Um, they actually started in Puerto Rico as the first American jurisdiction to um, formalize condominium law, but then it has um, since spread to all states and territories. Um, wow, it I didn't know that. Like, when when did that start? Oh, geez, you're gonna put me on the spot right now. Um, <laughs> Just pick a year. No, who cares? It doesn't really no, matter. I know in, in in Massachusetts, kind of the old generation of condos that we see are in their early 80s. The condominiums oh. may have been around. Um, longer than that. But when we look back, we actually can see um, antiquated condo documents from the 80s that um, yeah. are not as well informed because they didn't anticipate all the issues that condos uh, would face in the, in the future. So condo documents today are much longer, much more um, detailed, but that's because we're, we write them now with the benefit of experience and knowing what are some common mm -hmm. um, controversies and issues that come up in condo associations. That is fascinating. I thought this is far older than just the past few decades. So was that 40 years or so, some early 80s? It's become yeah. standardized. So there are ways for, you know, prior to this for um, really ambitious real estate investors to come up with creative documents, um, cross easements and covenants that would accomplish much of the same. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't formalized into kind of a, a really systematized process that everybody could understand and recognize. Massachusetts is Chapter 183A, but we see it in other um, jurisdictions as well. Now you're getting all legal here. So, you know, which it is the real estate law podcast, but uh, I think what we're going to do is we're actually going to punt some of the legal things that we should worry about into the next episode because we designed this to be like a quick little two-parter right here. So yeah, so, um, so tune into the next episode because while we've walked up um, through the process of, of condo conversions and showed how in effect easy it can be to carve up a building uh, legally, there are condominium conversion protection rules that benefit existing tenants um, and communities. And a lot of that um, is where the controversy lies. So I hope you join us for the next episode where we cover um, the different legal limitations and the tenant protection rules um, that vary city by city. I think you're taking over my job here. I'm not the one that knows this stuff. I'm supposed to keep this conversation going, but thank you for teaming that up.
<laughs> All right, so good. So, uh, so we've we've brought you to this point of uh, what is a, a condo conversion? Why would you do it? Uh, what are some buildings where we're going to see condo conversions happening? What are some of the things that are needed? So, the three, I, I what I took away right there is the three items that are needed. You need a master plan, uh, you need a master deed, and you need a declaration of trust. And you know, rewind this episode if you want to listen to what those three things are once again. And why don't we just leave it right there? We'll pick it up uh, in our next episode, talk more about the legal side of condo conversions. So thank you, Rory Gill, uh, attorney broker, Next Home Title Town Real Estate, Urban Village Legal. Um, we could find you uh, probably online if you Google those things very quickly. You're right there at the top of the page. Top of the page for both Next Home Title Town and Urban Village Legal. Excellent. Uh, my name is Jason Mew. Thanks again for listening uh, to the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.